Hi friends, I'm Amy Julia Becker, and this is Love is Stronger Than Fear, a podcast about pursuing hope and healing in the midst of social division. In this season, we're talking about how we can respond to the brokenness in our own lives and in our society with our whole selves, head, heart, and hands. And today, I get to talk with Luann Huska about the experience of healing from chronic pain and how it has helped her to think differently about healing, wholeness, and participation in God's healing work in the world. And do stay tuned. At the end of this interview, I'll let you know how you can win a copy of Luann's beautiful new book, Hurting Yet Whole. All right, well, I'm here today with Luann Huska. She is the author of Hurting Yet Whole, Reconciling Body and Spirit in Chronic Pain and Illness. And if you haven't had a chance to see this book yet, not only is it a beautiful book as far as contents, but the cover is also really beautiful. I just love it. So um, Luann, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Thanks so much for having me, Amy Julia. Well, for this season of the podcast, I am talking with lots of different people about how we as individuals and as communities can participate in God's healing work in the world. And I'm focused in most of these conversations on the idea of social healing and how we can participate in that using our heads, our hearts, and our hands. And this is not exactly what your book is about. It's not exactly about social healing, but it is all about healing and about what it means to reconcile body and spirit and think about healing in different ways, perhaps, than we've been taught, especially in a Western American cultural Christian context. So I thought your book was a wonderful way into a conversation about what healing is, how our understanding of healing can change our understanding of ourselves, of God, of the world around us. So I'm really excited to get to talk to you about these things today. And I thought we would just start by letting our listeners know a little bit about you and what compelled you to write Hurting Yet Whole. So could you just tell us about your own story, your experience with chronic pain, and how that led to writing this book? Yeah, so I started having ankle pain when I was um, 21 years old. I just graduated from Wheaton College and had quit my first ministry job at a nonprofit that was really stressful. And I started having this little pain in my ankle that I thought would go away after a couple weeks. And, you know, started seeing doctors after a few weeks and nothing was happening. Got kind of caught up in, I need to be fixed, mm-hmm, that this mm-hmm. is like a problem and I'm doing something wrong if I'm not getting better. And about maybe three or four months in, it sort of settled on me that this pain might be something that was ongoing. <laughs> you know, I'd seen multiple doctors and hadn't really found anything that was as far as diagnosis or treatment that was really helping. So that um, started a whole um, season of depression and anxiety and asking lots of questions, asking um, lots of questions to God and also questions to myself about who I was and what my identity was now that I wasn't what I thought I was, which I'd always thought I was um, capable and productive and that my body could kind of fit into my agenda for my life. And then (laughs) at that point, It was clear that my body was not going to cooperate. So lots of questions around, you know, am I my body or am I more than my body? What does the Christian story say about our bodies and healing? And what does 
it doesn't mean that Jesus is our healer when we don't get better in the way that we assume we will get better. So yeah, that went on for um, three or four years where I was really not able to walk more than a couple blocks um, and just limping um, suddenly just changed my, you know, the way I moved about in society. I was no longer um, an able-bodied person suddenly um, was, uh, I didn't want to be categorized as disabled. That was a, was a really hard, um, you know, I didn't want to attach that to me and be that person on the prayer list who was always mm-hmm. like had these issues going on or not able to go up and get communion, um, talking about, you know, social healing and what does it mean yeah. for us to seek healing as part of a social body. Um, so those are all the kinds of questions and things I was struggling with as mm-hmm. I came out of that season, um, ended up getting pregnant with our first child. And um, for some reason, um, I think it had to do with the ways that um, the hormones in pregnancy were shifting. Yeah. My joy. Got a little better. Um, and that actually gave me the mental and emotional space to start to think about these questions um, mm. a little bit more, um, you know, when they weren't so like existential and made it yeah. a, a little easier to process. So that's how the book came about. Um, mm. Sort of my um, frustration with the narratives that I had, I was kind of being given by the church of what healing means or um, what it means to be in a body that suffers. Is it any more than you just kind of get bet? You're like, you try to like ignore the suffering or like uh, overcome the suffering or was there something else that we could gain or at least um, be present to in in times of suffering. Well, and one thing I think your book does well, but also that I've just been noticing in recent years is that chronic pain is a situation that so many people find themselves in. And you bring up this, it's certainly less expected for a 21-year-old who has always been able-bodied to all of a sudden be in that situation, although not unprecedented. I mean, there are lots of people, whether they're young and certainly for people who are aging, who begin to experience that chronic pain and the ways in which our society tends to react. I can so relate in my uh, gut reaction of wanting to fix someone's problem, either by like, have you tried medication? Have you tried yoga? Do you know about, you know, like I, I want to give solutions. Um, what's funny for me is that as a Christian, I actually don't like prayer is not usually on my list of fixes, which is not not to say that prayer fixes our chronic pain anyway, but it's just an interesting thing that I notice how much I've separated bodily pain from God's healing work. And yet I also think that when we do bring it into a Christian context, we can often oversimplify it as well. (laughs) So it's like, we can just, I don't know if getting it wrong is the right way to talk about it, but we can certainly oversimplify both from like a secular cultural level and within the church, the experience of pain, as well as the and our understanding of healing. And again, that's what your book does so well is to begin to unpack some of those uh, questions, not just through the realm of your experience, but in this in this broader, broader sense. And so my next question for you, I do want to ask you how you understand healing, but I thought that maybe we could start with this 
idea of pain. Like, how do you understand pain? How would you define it? What purpose does it serve? Like, what is it? Uh, what If you think about it, um, how do you think about it? I've actually never gotten that question. That's <laughs> <interesting>. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, right. There's, there's so many layers to it. So there's the physical pain, which right. um, is... I think on the most basic level is the body's um, way of telling you that something is wrong um, or that there's something that you need to like pay attention to in your body or your surroundings. Um, Often it's a signal of danger. Like, you know, the, like that reflex that we have when we touch a hot stove Mm -hmm. is like to jerk back. Like we don't want to be there. And so um, that's a natural reaction is to want to get out of the pain. Um, and then when it's chronic, then it becomes, uh, you know, like what, what do you do when you can't escape it? And then do you continue to categorize it as um, your body's telling you that something's wrong? And if so, then what's wrong? And what do we have to, is that something to fix? Or is it just like, oh, like my body's not kind of responding in the way it should be responding. So that's that's the, that's the big question as I think about pain um, that I've had and continue to wrestle with is like, does it mean that something's wrong? Is like pain a signal that um, we need to fix something or do are we able to kind of be present to the pain without needing to kind of categorize it as good or bad? And, um, you know, as I was um, thinking about kind of the theology behind pain, I started going back to like the biblical stories of the creation and the fall. And there's a lot um, within evangelical Christian circles. I feel like the really common narrative is um, pain comes out of the fall. So like um, maybe before Adam and Eve sinned that we didn't have pain or disease Mm -hmm. or disability or suffering. And then once, um, once the fall happened, then all of that was ushered into the world. Um, so that's something I've always wrestled with is, is like, does, does my pain indicate like some broken state of humanity that I need to kind of reconcile with what God is doing and his work of transformation? Or is it something else that I can just like accept? Like, was it there to begin with? Um, and then on top of the physical pain, there's also... The emotional pain, which in my experience of chronic pain was actually worse or like mm-hmm. it entailed more suffering for me. Mm. Um, so that's another thing. Like, is there like an intrinsic connection between pain and suffering? Um, like if I experience physical pain, does that mean that I'm like suffering all the time or is my suffering actually caused more by my like approach to the pain? Um, and then I started go- getting into like um, Buddhist um, Eastern ways of thinking about pain, which are way less like needing to categorize good and bad. Um, yeah. And that was really helpful actually for me to kind of step back and say like, okay, why am I suffering? Is it because of the physical pain or is it because of the way that I'm kind of like having this vice-like grip on like, I need to fix my pain and then it's not getting fixed. So that's what's causing me the emotional pain. Well, and I wonder there too, thinking in the social terms, because um, as you know, I have a child with a disability. And so I've thought a lot about 
how we understand disability and whether suffering is something that's just a part of disability. And one of the things I've recognized, especially because I have a child who physically has not suffered much at all in her life, and that's not always true for people with disabilities, but it has been for her. And so this idea, like even in the media, people will write so-and-so suffers from Down syndrome. And it's like, that is like literally not true of our daughter. And yet the way in which society sees people with Down syndrome can perpetuate a lot of suffering in terms of loneliness, rejection, and uh, isolation. And I wonder when you say that, um, there was a social aspect to your pain and like an emotional aspect to your pain, how much that had to do with, without pointing fingers, but like how other people were perceiving you, like, was that contributing to your pain essentially? Right. Um, and like you said, with, um, people with disabilities, so much of the suffering that happens has to do with how they don't do or don't fit into society's definitions and ideas of what's a good life and a productive mm-hmm. life and a meaningful life. So I felt like um, that also plays into chronic illness that um, you can we can start to ask the question, like, is this suffering? And maybe are these limits that are causing suffering um, due to like, the experience, like the physical experience in itself or kind of the way that our world works so that we're Mm -hmm. not able to participate in the life of society in the ways that would enable us to feel more supported and connected and and experience healing. Yeah. I would love actually, so I want to come back to some of those ideas. Well, actually, before we do this, I also want to point out though you brought up the fall and it's not just did pain enter the world with sin, right? But also have I done something sinful if I am experiencing pain, right? So there's kind of this like idea that the world is broken and maybe pain comes and it has nothing to do with our behavior. But I think there's also another narrative of like, well, if you, something must be wrong, whether it's with your faith or with your devotion or literally you've actually did something wrong. There's some relationship either overtly or more subtly between sin and pain or moral wrongdoing and pain uh, that at least within the church can come up, I think, and and again, contribute to the pain itself, right? Yeah, yeah. I definitely had those same, like, those questions, like, what am I doing that's contributing to this? Or what do I need to do differently? Or even if it wasn't about sin, um, there's sort of the need to attach a purpose to our pain, Mm, um, to what we're going through. Um, So like I, I'm not saying this is, this was unhelpful, but it maybe was doing more than I think we can do as human beings. So some people would say like, well, God is using this, this thing that you're going through to refine your character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's probably a common thing within um, disability um, sure. experience too, is that, oh, they're like so strong or like they've overcome so much to get to this point, um, like as if what we're experiencing, like God intended it in mm-hmm. order for us to become certain kinds of people. And so I also... Um, you know, kind of wrestled with that, like, 
okay, well, what are you doing, God? Like, how can I um, learn this lesson so I can get over this now and be done with this? Like, okay, if you're trying to teach me something, then all right, what is it? So I can, I can, you know, move on to the next stage of my life. So that was another um, way to kind of narrate what I was going through that um, I pushed against that I I wonder if, um, I don't think we need to have that in order to have our experiences of pain and suffering be meaningful. Mm. So from there, how do you understand healing and how is that understanding changed over time? If it's not fixing and going back to, you know, the person I was when I was 20, um, you know, what, what, what does that uh, come to mean for you and what did it used to mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the way that I've understood healing, I think ongoing, even the beginning was um, by thinking about wholeness mm-hmm. as um, like wanting to be like kind of complete, you know, and for me, when I first started having pain and I couldn't be in my body um, in ways that were joyful and life-giving, like being in my body felt very um, you know, kind of like a death sentence in a way. Like I, I felt really trapped in my body. Yeah. Um, I wanted to escape. I felt alone and isolated by the pain. Um, so uh, like I thought, you know, I need to like get back to the way my body was so I can be whole again because like being whole, like for me meant going out on, you know, bike rides and um, dancing and mm-hmm and backpacking around the world. And I, and I suddenly didn't have those avenues for you know, flourishing in the world. And I had to kind of think, okay, well, um, and my body is part of me. So then how do I like reconnect with my body? If my body is part of me and I want to be like this, like, you know, whole complete human being that's has all the parts of myself connected so that's when I started asking more questions about um how can we live well and be present when our bodies aren't always like you know functioning at their optimal level but or yeah or even just redefining what optimal uh, normal functioning is um, that that also really helped me is um, realizing that um, there's so many, there's a spectrum of able-bodied and disabled Mm -hmm. or healthy and well. And it's not like we have to be like perfect in order to be whole. Um, And I think that's a common kind of misconception. Um, and, and that again goes back to the creation story. In my book, I mention, um, you know, God calls creation good. And so on all, and after everything that he created on all mm-hmm. the six days, he says it is good. Um, he doesn't say it is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that just um, kind of forces me to ask the question, like, how is my body still good? And mm. Um, can I find purpose um, even in the imperfection? So as I've thought about healing, it's um, continued to um, just force me to ask, what does it mean to be present in my body? And what does it mean to experience God's purpose and goodness um, as I am being able to accept that this is the 
this is the reality that I've been given and um, I can choose to live like as I am, as the body that I am without needing to wish myself back to a previous state of what I thought was normal. Well, and I think about within that, you mentioned earlier, just the ways in which um, how we are in our bodies relates to our identity. Um, And again, this is where I think about um, disability and the ways in which we tend to elevate and then devalue certain types of bodies and types of lives, whether that is based on ability, whether that is based on income, whether it's based on ethnicity, race, class, I mean, all these things, right? And um, I wonder how much of your self-perception as valuable was linked to what I can do in my body. Um, I know that that for me was something that I had to address in having a child with a disability. And I can remember a couple years in with Penny talking to someone who asked me how high functioning she was. And when, I mean, the honest, like, I just don't like the question. Like, I don't want to play into an idea that there are that she is high functioning because she can speak and read and walk right like because there's a sense of what do you even mean by that it seems as though there's a value being placed on ability to function um and and what does function mean for a human being right like to function what does it mean does it mean being able to relate to other people being able to love being able to experience joy being able to or does it mean yeah, being able to um, be a self-sufficient superwoman, you know? <laughs> so I do think for me, certainly, uh, the experience of disability has led to very different understandings of what makes us valuable as human beings and even what it meant, you know, if we go back to that story of Adam and Eve in the garden to be created good I think I used to think that really meant to be created like Superman mm-hmm. as opposed to to be created human, like yeah. with limits and vulnerabilities yeah. and needs and the potential for, yeah, um, pain and decay and yet the potential for love and healing and care within all of that. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, at, anyway. It gets at those basic questions that we ask in every generation of what it means to be human um, mm-hmm. and is is the epitome of being a human being being able to have this like amazing intellect or is there yes. something else that's at the core of our humanity totally. that makes us human and obviously we can look to Jesus as the best example of that mm-hmm. um, but it's really fascinating I, I think about some of the new research that's being done in um you know the biomedical fields yeah and even like looking back at anthropology and what we've excavated as far as human remains there's a really interesting um new york times article um that someone shared with me called um americans stop being ashamed of weakness that came Mm. out a few months ago and they um, asked Margaret Mead, who was one of the yeah. anthropologists from a few uh, decades ago, like, what was the first evidence of human society? Um, was it like our tool making ability or some kind of like thing that showed off our intellect? And she pointed to um, like 12,000 years ago, there was a femur that they found that um, 
had someone had broken a femur and then it had healed. So it was an evidence of a healed femur. And the, um, the takeaway she got from that was that this is the first evidence of a, like a human society, because if you had left that person to themselves, um, in the conditions of early humans, they would have very likely, you know, been attacked by wild beasts, but this tribe was able to gather around this human and, take care of them for the however many weeks it took for them to recuperate. And that was um, what showed her like, okay, we've reached our humanity. Like this is what it means to be human. That's amazing. I mean, that makes so much sense, but that's also, it's like such a beautiful image of what we're talking about that the evidence of a broken bone that has healed is the evidence of love and care and humanity as opposed to um, invincible bones, right? <laughs> Being somehow the marker of that. That's really cool. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Well, so to this point, one of the things I'm thinking a lot about in general and also in relation to your book is the relationship between body and spirit when it comes to pain and healing. Um, I was struck, this is, um, well, let's see, page 129, because I wrote that down. You wrote this is about an experience you had when you had basically been overworking and you say, you wrote, I learned through this experience that when we push the override button one too many times, eventually our bodies say no. This no comes in many forms, headaches, body aches, tightness in the chest, hormonal imbalances, rashes, stomach cramps, etc. Our bodies sometimes put on the brakes for a short time and then allow us to return to living at normal speed. In other cases, the symptoms drag on, evading quick fixes, and we have to come to terms with what might be called a chronic illness. And you go on to write about this. So I'm curious to hear more about what you think in terms of our body saying no, because I'm going back to what you said at the beginning of our conversation about, and this is a very, it makes a lot of sense, right? Hot stove, danger, pain comes, right? But this is something more subtle that you're writing about here in terms of our bodies saying no, uh, when we are overworking, or perhaps in an emotionally traumatic situation. But I'm just curious, do you think, how do you see illness and injury as a in relationship to this uh, aspect of our bodies that says no to whatever is happening in our kind of environmental or circumstances. Yeah. Well, there's so much evidence now about the way that stress affects our health um, on so many levels. Yeah, it's amazing. Our immune system, our hormones, Mm -hmm. um, so much dysregulation of of our whole body. and so when I think about um, like kind of our symptoms and if, if you think about illness or pain or any kind of discomfort in our bodies as a way that um, our bodies are kind of calling attention to um, maybe things that we'd rather not deal with, then to me, like that's the rise in so many illnesses, uh, so many invisible like, chronic illnesses in our society. Um, makes me ask, what is what does this say about how we're living as a society and yeah. um, the ways that our pace of life is um, affecting our ability to thrive and, and be human and mm-hmm. be whole? And um, I don't want to like I I don't want to like say because this is this can be another one of those like we 
we like kind of force this narrative onto people like, mm-hmm. oh, you have this autoimmune condition because you've been working too hard and you're like too stressed out. And right. like, you just need to like take a break and you'll be better. And that's not always the case. And I mean, like a lot of these like invisible illnesses that I discussed, like fibromyalgia or Hashimoto's or Crohn's, um, these are like things that happen after decades and decades um and a lot of it is things that we don't have control over like our diet like eating processed foods um or just um you know the environment that we're in so yeah i think all of those those symptoms are are ways that we can kind of start to tune in to what's kind of off about the way we live Mm -hmm. Uh, but at the same time like knowing that we don't live in Eden, so we're not going to make things perfect. Um, right. That's like, I think that's another tendency. So when we start to go into the paying attention to our symptoms as kind of an indicator of lifestyle factors or environmental factors, is that um, if we have the knowledge and resources, um, we often want to create like bubbles around ourselves, like bubbles of perfection. Like I will buy all organic foods for right. my kids, and you know they will eat. Um, you know, everything non-processed, all of those sorts of things can be ways that we, we try to go back to that um, Eden. And, right. and that's just, this is not what we live in. So it's, it's a, it's a really hard balance between like paying attention, but then knowing we're not going to fix everything just by ourselves, at least. It, it, I think that's, this leads into the societal things mm-hmm. that um, there's, we got to start looking to like systemic issues. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more about that? My mind was going in that direction too, but I'd love to hear from you the, cause I think you're right. I mean, I think about someone who, I mean, even just a very simple example of developing lung cancer as a result of secondhand smoke. Mm-hmm. It's one thing, I, plenty of smokers don't ever develop lung cancer, but even if you mm. say you're a smoker and you develop lung cancer, you can say, okay, cause effect yeah. all within my own body, my fault. And, you know, the, mm. I, I wouldn't even say it that simply, but you could. Yeah. But in terms of something like secondhand smoke, and again, we can talk about pollution more broadly. We can talk about yeah. just what the systems are that lead to eating processed yeah. foods, but yeah. whole communities are really affected adversely. Um, and experience pain and suffering and disease and injury mm-hmm. as a result of environmental factors that are certainly not the cause or fault of any one individual, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, so something like obesity or heart disease, those are um, more prevalent among African-American communities. And there's this, this narrative of, oh, they just make bad choices mm-hmm. and um, we can, they can just teach them to make better choices and, and they can go and buy fresh, healthy food. And then we have to look at the food deserts that right. they live in or um, just the, the cost fact that they don't the have the, the cost, they don't have the time. They're mm-hmm. probably... Um, you know, working long hours. So how are they going to make from scratch meals all the time? So those are all like the bigger picture questions that you start to ask. And that, and you can do that for, you know, any issue, mm-hmm. that any health issue. Like um, there's, I mean, you know, so much of it is a mystery. And, and I think we can start to say like, what did we do? What did we do? And at some point we have to say, well, some of these things, they just, they just happen. <laughs> um but at the same time, 
there's ways that we can promote the health of communities and groups of people as a whole by by starting to peel back those layers of systemic issues. And did your personal experience of pain, I don't know, change or affect the way you saw communal healing, like both in terms of um, what the role that the community plays in healing for individuals, but also the role the individual plays in a community when it comes to healing. Can you speak a little bit about that connection between the two in your own experience? Hmm. Um, Yeah, as far as how the first part of your question, how the community plays a role in individual healing, there's this chapter in my book, The Myth of Medical Mastery, where I start to talk about my own seeking healing at the beginning was all about me going to a doctor and expecting mm-hmm. the doctor to fix me. And it was this, this like individual pursuit that I was on to yeah. find the silver bullet to fix my pain. Um, and then I started realizing that I was experiencing healing all along and it was happening on all these different levels mm-hmm. through the the friends that I was talking to through my husband, through the, the woman that I was praying with at church Um. And even through my healthcare providers, um, but it was, it was this bigger kind of healing that involved um, me realizing that I was part of a, a community that could mm. support me, so that my healing might not mean me getting better from my pain, but that I realized that um, whenever. I was in a place of need, like whether that was I, I was moving and I couldn't clean the house before we moved because I, I was in too much pain. Some, you know, friends came and they cleaned our house for us or I couldn't do laundry. My husband did the laundry. Right. I realized that um, I was part of this bigger body and um, then I didn't feel like the bottom was falling out all the time when when I was in pain that I had to like shore up and do it all by myself or mm-hmm. like um, kind of overcome my liabilities. But I could start to see my own liabilities, if you would call them, as as like points of connection and mm. um, ways that I was um, learning to depend on others, learning to be vulnerable and allowing people um, – there's a phrase that I quote from a physician named Rachel Naomi Remen, who says we are all providers of each other's health. Mm. And so I was allowing people to provide my health and care for me um, and not just seek it for myself. So that's, that's on the community. Yeah. Kind of- and just that relationship between when we acknowledge our limitations instead of trying to like push through them or ignore them or, avoid them or even like medicate them, right? But yeah. if we just acknowledge our limits in in a good world, and it doesn't always work this way, of course, because our world is broken and fallen, but, um, and in good relationships, I think what limits can do is open us up to love. And yeah. our desire, my desire, certainly to pretend I don't have limits is what tends to cut me off from love because mm-hmm. I won't accept help and I won't, and, and then I become more isolated I feel that pain becomes more of a sense of despair because I can't fix yeah. it. And, you know, and it, and so I get stuck inside myself. But if I can actually admit the limit, ask for help and exist in a community, whether it's a marriage or friendship or church or whatever, where people 
can step into the the ways in which they've been given abilities to give, you know, there's really some great beauty that can come for everyone in that. Um, And and healing, again, not necessarily cessation of pain, but I think um, great healing that can happen among communities uh, when when that happens. I, I think of that again with um, I don't know if you've ever read uh, Henry Nowen wrote about uh, going and living in the Larsh community with a man named Adam who was yeah. not in any way going to value Nowen for his intellectual capacity. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And the amount of healing that happened in having a relationship with someone who simply loved him um, mm-hmm. as a human and not as a professor who was impressive with his language, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's a maybe an extreme example, but those little exchanges that can happen when we are weak and vulnerable and someone says, yeah, I want to be with you in exactly this place, mm-hmm. not in spite of it, but with I want to be with you here because I love you. And this is a way of really... Um, I mean, the thought of one of my children of not being with them when they're in pain, um, mm-hmm. like that is so much harder on my heart than the thought of like being with them in pain, even if I can't fix it, right? Because yeah. I want to be there to love them and to let them know that. Um, but as an adult, I think I tend to, again, whether it's physical or emotional, think my job is to cover my pain so that no one else is bothered by it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. I'm curious just if there have been any spiritual practices that have either become a part of your life or that you were able to put into your life along the way that helped you to experience healing, whether there was anything on that kind of mental, spiritual level um, that enabled you either to return to your body or to attend, to think about it in a different way, um, or to experience God's presence in a different way. Yeah. Uh, so I have this moment that I think of, and it's, it's funny because you ask about spiritual practice, and this is a physical thing, but I think it was a spiritual practice. Yeah. Um, as remember, like a couple of years into my pain, taking a bath and suddenly feeling comfortable in my body again, Mm. feeling good in my body. And it was such a healing experience just to receive the feeling of water on my skin Mm. and just like float (laughs) in warmth. And um, so there's a lot of moments like that along the way where I started to be able to enjoy pleasure in my body again Mm -hmm. that were so healing for me like you know realizing that my body is still a place where I could connect with people and connect with creation and like give hugs and like take walks um even if I wasn't like you know walking long distances I could at least like just take in nature and um just learning to be present again um was what enabled me to kind of like heal and be be comfortable again in my body. Um, and then as far as like other practices, I've really benefited from meditation. And it's something that I know can kind of like bring up red flags within like Christian spheres, but there's a lot of um, precedent for um, just that, 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 posture of like paying gentle attention to everything around you that that is within the christian tradition too um 
you know, centering prayer or the, the Jesus prayer where you're focusing on your breath and just um, asking Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Um, and there's like one of the books on the Jesus prayer talks about you're bringing your heart like from your mind like down into your heart so you're like bringing your attention mm -hmm. like down so like the things that I was able to do that kind of got me out of here in my head where I was just like kind of on like this like repetitive cycle of playing my fears and mm. um, anxieties over and over um, into the present moment and then and in that moment realizing God was present with me God is present with me those were those are the most helpful mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i'm really curious about the relationship between meditation and prayer uh and i know the contemplative prayer tradition within christianity i think is the closest um yeah. link there and i know a lot of christians who have really benefited myself included from both contemplative prayer which i was not taught in my growing up as a Christian, um, but also from just even more like straightforward uh, meditation that is not, yeah. that is simply about paying attention to the breath or noticing, mm -hmm. oh, my ankle hurts right now. Hmm. <laughs> you know, just yeah. that, like, can I, can I do that without going into all the fear and anxiety that comes if I fast forward or rewind? Can I just yeah. stay with this yeah. right now? Yeah. I, so when you look back on it, and your 21 year old self, do you now think, oh, such and such thing happened and my ankle started hurting? Or do you see it as a mysterious event that led you on a journey that has helped you become who you are now or something in between? I mean, I realize I just narrated your own story. <laughs> I don't mean to do that. I'm just I'm curious. Yeah. Like, how that how you make sense of it um, now that you not are at the end of it, but at the same time have come to such a different place. Mm -hmm. In the in my book, I I kind of do a rereading of the creation story yeah. and what happened in the fall, as um, not that pain entered into creation, but that Adam and Eve became newly aware of what their their bodies already were. Um, you know, susceptible to pain and fragile and mm. mortal. And I feel like that's what the, the experience that I had in my 20s was. It wasn't that um, it was like this like event that um, kind of like changed everything, but was like me realizing what was already there. Mm -hmm. um, and it probably would have happened if, if it didn't happen when I was 21, it would have happened when I was 25 or 27. Right. And it could have happened through having children. And there's so much vulnerability um, and a, just awareness of our mortality yeah. and our, our propensity to suffer once you, you have children. And so that was just like kind of the, the initial the scales falling off of my yeah. eyes um, and maybe it happened for me earlier than other people but it's something that is, is just I think is a human experience that rings really true to me I think about the entire year 2020 as this mm. revelation of what was already true yes. but we for in a variety of different ways and for a variety of different reasons saw it um, whether that was in these very intimate um, I see what is true 
when it comes to my relationship with food or alcohol. Because Mm -hmm. if I don't have anywhere to go, that's what I do. Or I see what is true in my marriage when a little bit of pressure is applied. Or I see what is true in our country when it comes to some of the social unrest that we've had that has seemed more visible in this past year. I see what is true of our healthcare system and that some people are far more privileged than others when it comes to the protection from disease. I see, you know, I mean, we could just keep that list going, Mm -hmm. but I think that um, there is a grace that can come from that awareness if we invite God into it, not in the sense of it all gets fixed, but in that sense of, oh, if this was true and I didn't know about it, and now I do, then there is an ability to live in that reality and invite um, joy and love and peace even into that place that maybe there wouldn't have been if I continued to deny that reality, uh, which I know has been what I've done for a lot of my life. (laughs) It's just trying to muscle through um, according to the productive and efficient and able-bodied ways I've been taught. Yeah, I think one of the, the things that we we so want to keep going, I was having a discussion group with um, my book launch team about mm-hmm. this book, and I I asked what what keeps us from being kind of sitting with our vulnerability and in those places where we we see how um, what is true about ourselves and. Then we just are like, no, I'm not going to look at that. I'm just going to keep going. And one woman said um, she she had uh, children, a couple of children with learning disabilities. And so in their early years, she was just shuttling them back and forth to different appointments and things. And she mentioned, if, if I had um, kind of allowed myself to feel all the things that I was you know, feeling under the surface, I think I would have just, my fear was that I would have melted into a puddle and Mm -hmm. like never been able to get up again. So I think there's a, there's a level of like, oh, it's really, it's like, we want to shield ourselves from that because it feels like it's, it's just going to like squash us to the ground because it's so heavy. Um, And I think that's what um, I, I came to in my book is that, and, and I mean, not in, in, in the writing of the book, but just in the processing before I got to writing the book is like that place of like utter vulnerability and realizing how human we are in our, in our human condition. Um, like you said, is, is the place where healing happens. Like we have to be willing to go to that place in order to move forward. And that doesn't mean overcome but it means like to find a better way forward or else we're just going to be like kind of pushing the trauma and the the feelings under the surface um, unprocessed. Well, and if something that is just true about who God is, is that God is a healer. And I mean that in the more holistic sense, not in the fixing and curing, then there is a sense of um, if we open ourselves up to healing, then we are also freed to participate both in the healing work that God's doing in our own lives and the healing work that I believe God wants to do in all the different examples that came up in this conversation, whether it's simply within a church community or a family or in the broader social, all the dividing lines that can be uh, repaired, that could be healed. If we can experience that and believe it, 
personally, which involves admitting places of pain and brokenness and vulnerability, then I think it does open us up to be a part of of something bigger and see some of that gentle, loving work around us. Yeah, it opens us up to new possibilities if we can kind of let go of those narratives that we've had. Well, I think that is a good place to end this conversation um, in hope for possibilities as we are willing and aware to look at uh, brokenness and limitation and then see what God can do in the midst of it. So thank you for being here today. I really appreciate your time. really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks so much for listening to Love is Stronger Than Fear. As I mentioned at the beginning, we are excited to give away a copy of Luann's new book, Hurting Yet Whole. To enter for your chance to win, just rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and just send me a message to let me know that you've done it. Once I hear from you, you'll be entered in the giveaway. You can contact me through comments or messages on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, or via the contact page on my website, amyjuliabecker.com. All the details for this giveaway, as well as all the other references we mentioned in our conversation, will be in the show notes as well. I finally want to thank our co-host, Breaking Ground. If you want more podcasts and articles and videos that reflect from a Christian perspective on how to think about the past, understand the present, and explore redemptive possibilities for the future, visit breakingground.us. Thanks also again to Jake Hansen for editing this podcast, to Amber Beery, my social media coordinator, who does more to support this show than anyone will ever know. And join us next week. I'll be talking again about hope and healing with Catherine Wolf, and I hope you'll join us. As you go into your day today, I do hope you will carry with you the peace that comes from believing that love is stronger than fear.